friends and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today we are sitting down with pickup winder extraordinaire Jason Lawler. Jason Lawler literally wrote the book uh, on, on how to wind pickups from taking your mom's sewing machine and turning it into a winder and and uh, of course you know started as a guitar builder and uh, I'm assuming that in your story we're going to learn that you weren't satisfied with the offerings and you started winding your own pickups due to that. And, uh, and the process has been, you know, one of the most, you know, acclaimed, you know, pickup winders and pickup winding businesses uh, around today. And so, so Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of wind you up and get you started. So first off, tell me how you started playing the guitar and then how, you know, and then get us through to like pickup winding and such. And of course, I'll We'll interject along the way, but yeah. Okay, so um, when I was about seven years old, I had a, a K flat top that my dad won in a carnival, a uh, really funky one with uh, painted on binding and just really piece of crap with no truss rod or anything like that, nylon strings, but it looked like a, a Gibson or flat top. And uh, got the Mel Bay book out and learned Tom Dooley and uh, all those folk songs and stuff. and. Um, when I was 11, I heard Jimi Hendrix, uh, Are You Experienced? It was the first album I ever bought. And I went, wow, I gotta, I gotta play electric guitar, right? Yeah. And, um, so, uh, at the time they had, it was a Japanese brand that they imported into the Northwest. Uh, it was called Lyle, Lyle Guitars. And it was, a, I bought a copy of a, of a SG a really bad copy of an SG. The neck was all laminated out of real thin strips of wood, and it had really crappy pickups on it. It came with a little amp about about like uh, what's behind me there, that red thing there. It was about that size, and it said National on it. And I got both pieces for like 100 bucks, and the thing just played horribly. I think it even had brass frets on it, you know. And uh, so that's what got me... And, I, you know, I finally I kept getting better guitars. And then when I got into high school, I, I decided I wanted to try to build an electric guitar. And uh, my shop teacher let me do it. And it actually came out, and it was playable. Uh, the only pickups you could buy at the time were these Guild humbuckers. You could buy those. They sold those. You could get them mail order. Later on... Uh, uh, like uh, DiMarzio and uh, showed up, and Seymour Duncan and Schechter, uh, but that was like more like late seventies before you could really uh, just call them up and order stuff. Yeah. So uh, I went to uh, a school called Roberto Venn in nineteen seventy nine, and they taught you how to real the rudimentary pickup making stuff like kind of like what the semi Mosley did because that's where they learned it from was semi Mosley so they were making the, the bobbins out of uh, plastics and uh, it'd have like a wood core and you glue it all together and wind it with a little uh, 
train transformer on a on a whining on a motor and you just got the wire back and forth like that and you would just fill the bobbin and that was your pickup uh they had surplus magnets and you would we'd make a little wood box for a cover and we'd drop the thing in there and pour bondo over the top of it and that was your pickup it's like <laughs> so really the really the thing that i learned from them was you don't rotate the the roll of wire to unreal it because that, that that's a 10 pound spool or a five pound spool and you're just going to snap the wire because it's as fine as your hair right. you actually feed it you put the the spool on the floor and you the wire unravels around the end of the of the spool yeah a lot of people don't get that and you'll see a lot of people making um derailers for their pickup winder and it doesn't it's impossible to do it that way just set you just set it on the floor and you let the let let it come off on its own yeah it just despools on its own yeah plus it doesn't twist or anything like that there's a couple other tricks to it too but but uh, anyway so after i got out of roberto van um i did, found that i had to kind of figure it all out and, you know they showed you how to do it once but then you have to get your jigs together and their angles you have to know the angles and figure all that stuff out for the neck set and uh we were down in my mom's basement me and my buddy and we had a box full of uh it was like a uh a European Lego kit. It had motors in it, it had gears, and it had uh, worm drive stuff and and chains, and went and switches. And we went, let's let's design an automatic pickup winder. We started getting into the box, and and uh, we used a worm drive motor, and it would go across the bobbin, spin like this, and the worm drive would go this way, and we had a switch on top of it, and there was a little adjustable stop on the side and the switch would hit the stop and then it would go back that way and there'd be another adjustable stop there and dink and it would just go back and forth and it worked perfect for any kind of pickup any size bobbin or anything and uh except it was really slow really okay. slow so it would take you 45 minutes to wind a pickup with it and and how long does it take to to normally you know wind a pickup in a coil no five to ten minutes depending on what it is okay and, and that's someone hand someone that's that's got obviously there's it's you know the yeah. the, the bobbin spinning and then they're feeding it by hand or, or, or a machine doing it. Yeah, we, we have a couple of different ways we do it um i, I was teaching at, at roberto venn for about 10 10 years or 12 years twice a twice a year teaching people how to wind pickups uh, there'd be like 20 or 30 at a time and we'd had the, the weekend uh, to uh, get them to make a strap pickup in a humbucker and i showed them all how to do it like that and it's takes some getting used to but once once you get used to it you can just kind of intend on where the wire's going and it does it you don't even really have to think about it you just have to go i want it to be like this and yeah it does it there's there are other systems there's um the one we use is a, a rotating cam that goes around and it's kind of sloppy it doesn't uh, do good turns per layer like a, a more complicated machine would do they can they can program in turns per layer 
So it, it once it hits uh, 60 turns, it goes back 60 turns, and it goes back 60 turns. But even at that, because we're winding oblong coils instead of round solenoids, it changes the way the wire lays on there. And the farther away you are with the transverser from the bobbin, the more random, uh, it'll just start oscillating on its own. You have to be right up on it to get it to really follow. Otherwise, it's like, I don't know if you've ever run a sewing machine, but the, the thing on top that winds the little bobbin that goes underneath, there's no traverser on it. It just loads it up on its own. Yeah. So that's kind of like scatter winding. You know, it's not, uh, it's not laying down perfectly. Uh, so the farther away you get your traverser, the more randomness you get into it. But we also want to have consistent randomness, right? We don't, <laughs> right. So that way you have consistency when somebody buys, you know, multiples of the same pickup. Yeah. Right. yeah. You want it to sound, they want it to sound like what they had before or what their friend had. So, yeah. So it's important to build in some sort of randomness, but to keep it, keep it from running away with Run, run away with you. Yeah. So, what does scatter winding do to well, the sound? To the you know, I, I know that's kind of a big open-ended question, but yeah, let's talk a, a bit about scatter winding. It's overused because all any machine can be set up to scatter wind. It just means that the windings are not parallel to each other. Right. They cross over each other to some extent, and it breaks up the capacitance of the, of the coil. So you get a little bit more extended frequency response if, if you're not bleeding off treble through capacitance. Okay. So that, that's basically what it is. But uh, that's really misunderstood. There's a lot of things that people have no idea. Um, that's, they, they talk, they read stuff on forums and stuff, and a lot of it's not very, it's not particularly accurate. Or there's always an exception to what, uh, people believe is going on like you know the, the ohms the ohm reading the ohm level uh have people say oh every coil that i've had the strat coil it was 6.3 that's that's what i want and go, well you know if you put that 6.3 pickup in your pocket for about two minutes it's going to come out reading 6.5 because it got warm right this even blow on it a couple times real close and uh It'll go up or put it in the refrigerator. It'll go down. So we wind our coils. We'll solve them up and measure them. And then the next morning, we go back in and measure them again. And just from the tension on the wire, it builds up heat after 10,000 turns. So yeah. they always read higher right after they've been wound. And your guitar doesn't sound different when you play outdoors under 80-degree weather than it does when you're indoors when it's 60 degrees. Yeah. Showing how, yeah, the, the ohms does not indicate how it's going to sound. Yeah, it means nothing, really. I'd say futile. Resistance is futile. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Because you can use big wire, you know, which has less resistance per foot. But what really makes a difference is how many turns you have in the coil. That's what's generating voltage. More turns, you're generating more voltage. Yeah. So you can have a bigger wire with more turns on it, but it reads way lower than uh, something with like a 44 gauge. 
you know, you could use a 38 gauge, which they used in the 1930s on, on pickup coils. I'm not sure why, but that's what they did. Yeah. So, so let, let's let's get back to kind of the, the timeline. So you went to Roberto Venn, you learned about, you know, making pickups, you start teaching how to make pickups. How, how later. I didn't teach till way later. Like, okay. Okay. So let's, when do you start making pickups for, for your own guitars? And when does that turn into making pickups for other people? Yeah, it was, uh, I started making uh, pickups for the guitars I was building after I got out of Roberto Van because I knew how to do it. And there was really, the only thing you get, like I said, was those guild uh, humbuckers or uh, there were a lot of mini humbuckers floating around. If you went to a repair store, you could right. get mini humbuckers because everybody was pulling them out of their guitars. Right, because they were putting in full-size humbuckers. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so there were those available too. And I didn't really like either one very much. So but basically what I was making, I tried making some humbuckers in the, the way that I was taught at uh, uh, Roberto Van, but they, they came out huge because the coils were just too sloppy. And and uh, so mostly what I made was, they were basically like Moserate pickups, which are pretty much a, a P90 kind yeah. of pickup. Uh, They're overwound P90. Um, so I was making those for the guitars I was building. And um, a few years later, I started gigging. So I was still building guitars, but I was also like working at a gas station and gigging and trying to get the business thing together. And I did that for, oh, 10, 15 years. And I was scrounging magnets from like liquidators and I was using a cassette uh, boxes for cassette tapes, the boxes for the plastic. I'd, you know, cut the uh, thing yeah. up and glue it together. Anything that I could figure out how to use. Because I didn't know where to get magnets. Uh, I remember calling one company that made guitar pickups. And they said, well, where do you get magnets at? And they go, oh, I can't remember what they said. They said something really smart ass to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, cause that was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask is that, you know, pre pre internet, uh, and, and pre, you know, the boutique yeah. business and such, it's like, how did, how did you get parts? How did you get magnets? How did you, and you're making your own bobbins. I mean, this is, this is part of the, you know, the, the, the passion for it, that it's like, you're make you're fabricating your own stuff. Yeah. And always have. And a lot of people don't do that. Uh, yeah. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, liquidators. I'd find like little uh, magnets that they used in like doorbell chimes, you know, little segmented ones. And I'd glue them all, glue like six of them on a side, six on the other side of the P90 kind of thing, breaking them in half to get two pieces and stuff like that. And, um, and there was something, if you went to the library, there's something called a Thomas Register. You ever heard of that? Yes. It's yeah. all, all the different companies that make everything and uh any uh, wholesale places all these wholesale places and that's how you had to learn how to find stuff was through that uh so I've, i found a place called electrosola that was selling the magnet wire before i was getting it at liquidators and it was pretty rare to run into it and when you did run into it it'd be it looked like a big fur ball because it had been the wire had been broken so many times on it you know and there, there are tricks to Finding the end of the 
the wire. It takes about an hour to get to the end of the wire. You <laughs> take a razor blade and you cut down the, the all the wire about an eighth inch thick and you just start peeling it off. And eventually you'll get down to where like three pieces are coming off. And one of those is the end, and the other two are like a loop that's being looped around it. And you just got to keep going and going and going. So I hang it, I hang it way up in the ceiling, so that the weight of the wire will help waterfall it off. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to do that kind of stuff when I first got wire until I find a larger solo. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're fabricating your own bobbins. You're you're getting, but of course, then you're having to get, um, you know, wire and and magnets from somebody. And you're you're finding these things, and yeah. so what what are your first offerings as far as pickups? Oh, they were they were the oh, okay. The first offerings. Well, the first thing I made was P nineties. Okay. This is a little bit later on when uh, after the internet was just a baby thing, you know. Um, I found out what. The, the material was called that Fender uses on their pickup, and it's called Forbon. It's vulcanized fiberboard. And um, once I found that, man, you can cut it on a table saw into strips, and then I would cross cut it to get little squares. And then I, I made these uh, 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 plexiglass uh, templates yeah. that I stick with double tape on it and then i'd run it on the router so it would shape it you know yeah and put it on the drill press and and drill all the holes in it and stuff and you can scrape the edge with a razor blade and it it rounds it over you know that was like a, a amazing thing to, to it really shot me forward like a long ways and um so i started making p90s and then people wanted strats they wanted tellies so it was P90 strats and tellies, all these single coils. I also made a lot of uh, custom stuff for, I did a, a job for uh, Paul Allen, this company called Vulcan called me up. You know, Paul Allen, the uh, Microsoft. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And they wanted a, a set of, a bunch of humbucking pickups for a, called something called an octopus clock. I had no idea what it was, but I think it had something to do with cables that they would they would ring and anyways it turned out to be his yacht the octopus so I make custom stuff like that and a lot of steel guitar stuff and i also made a lot of bar blade pickups about you know 16 inches long and you'd take them and load them up in, into a piano and wire them all together and you'd have a running into a marshal and you know like John Lord on piano or something. <laughs> Who did you make that for? Uh, I made I made those a few times, but the first one was I think it was for Tony Visconti, I think. Okay. Or somebody he was working with, or so, uh, was, that was so long ago, man. It was yeah, about ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of that, and I call those knuckle busters because I have a special winder that's got a faceplate on it, like this big, and you mount this 16-inch thing, and it's going, whop, whop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd bust your knuckles, all right. <laughs>
If you get going too fast, it'll, it'll break the tape and it'll throw that thing across the room. So, so you, so you start you start making you know let's let's just say you know these P90s and Fender type pickups. So how are you deciding like what gauge of wire to use and how many winds and things like that? What's you know are are you just ex experimenting with doing things different ways? How and and then yeah. Yeah, yes and yes, but, but I also did a lot of repairs. I'd get people sending me old, you know, 54 Strat, uh, 52 Tellies to, to rewind them. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of that and uh, many different kinds of designs like uh, uh, Hofner's and uh, those Barney Kessel, the big uh, Kleenex tissue ones. Um and uh, I've actually sat down and, and counted turns before. So you, you un, unwound the pickup? Yeah, sure. Yeah, unwind it. And you also have to, you have, to have a, a, a caliper that will uh, that will go down low enough that you can figure out what the gauge wire is, uh, which is really a little bit difficult to do because if you press too hard, you're squishing the wire. Right. Uh, and sometimes there's like a coating on the wire that sometimes they'll like lacquer potter them or uh or there's wax coating on it and that throws your measurement off too so so you try to figure out what the wire is and you try to figure out how many ohms if you have a working one and then you try to match that and you count the ohms and you, you, you count count the turns and then you measure the ohms and you go okay it looks like because every time you do it it's going to vary a little bit you know, if you're if you're going by turns and then you look at the ohms, it's going to vary a little bit. And like we were talking about, that the uh, just the heat from uh, the tensioning on the wire is going to throw it off. So it takes a lot of trial and error to really come down with. Oh, I think they were using eight thousand turns. You know, okay. Usually, it makes sense. The the turn count will be eight thousand or eight thousand two hundred fifty, but never something like. 8,333, uh, something randomly odd or something, unless they weren't counting the turns at all. So. Right. So, so you're learning a lot from, from doing repairs and rewinds and yeah. from experimentation. You're doing, yeah. you're doing both to figure out kind of what you like and what other people like. Yeah. And listening to people, what they were, what are they requesting that they want? You know, and after you talk to 200 people buying strap pickups, you can kind of figure out this guy wants something really spanky and this guy wants something with a little more mid range and somebody wants something smoother. Somebody wants something uh, brighter, more presence, less presence. Uh, and so I started making models that followed what people were asking me to do. And that's what uh, most of the stuff that have come up with somebody's wanted it uh like the the blade charlie christians we make we kept getting uh, uh requests for that over and over and over and over and for a pickup that you have to route your guitar to put it in you know we've sold thousands of those i never thought that, that uh, it would be that popular and even the uh, uh, fenders and maton has bought bought those and routed their guitars especially for him so yeah 
it's you know, crazy. I get, you know, I guess that, you know, it all goes back to Gatton and, and yep. you know, doing Dr. that. John Lennon was another one that uh, used that in uh, a Les Paul special, I think it was. Or... Oh, yeah. 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 Put uh, Charlie Christian, you know, because, yeah, the, the thing, yeah, it has, it, there's so much to the pickup. And, yeah, you're right. So much has to be routed out. It's amazing that uh, so many of those, yeah, that you've sold at me, but it, it just shows that, you know, you, I guess you have to follow, follow the market as long as it's, you know, what you're wanting to do also. Yeah. And if it makes sense, if it doesn't make sense, there's been very few products that I've come out with that we need to stop making. Yeah. I haven't been lucky that way. So. Yeah. You, you have a, a, a really wide, you know, variety of, uh, of offerings and you have a, uh, a big staff of, uh, you know, of winders and, you know, and support staff and such. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm guessing you have d different winders that excel at doing certain pickups and things like that. Exactly. We, we train them. It takes about six months to a year to, to get them really proficient in it. And it's not something you can advertise and just get somebody off the street that already knows how to wine pickups. Right. So, so we do some guys make a certain section of the product line and others make other stuff and we try to cross train them so you know because we got to take vacations once in a while right and you and you can't stop making you know especially like humbuckers tellies and strap pickups you know yeah for sure yeah. and it, it is it's amazing how much stuff we make i never would have imagined it yeah so let's let's take something you know uh, a simpler design like a Telecaster you know bridge pickup, and so how do you decide you know this is you know this is kind of my product lineup this is how much uh, how many different models of Telecaster pickups I mean I, I'm guessing this goes back to custom orders and people keep requesting a couple different things and so you know is that yeah everybody wants a fifty two not everybody but yeah. a lot of people. Uh, 52 it's a uh, iconic kind uh, of telecaster uh for a while they used alnico 3 so we wound up making an alnico 3 which yeah. is very very clear pickup uh and a lot of guys just i remember the first time i played uh it was I, it was a blackguard telly and i was like 19 years old and this friend of mine had bought one and i was playing a les paul at the time and she hands me this blackguard i was like wow this thing's got big fat sound out of the, that bridge pickup um it may have even been a broadcaster i don't i don't remember uh it's still it's too long ago and i didn't know at the time but so we make something that reminds me of what uh my first experience with playing a telly like that uh, which is a special. And then we have something called the, um, the J street, which is made to work better with, uh, you know, the, the telecaster custom with, uh, with the uh, wide range of the neck, right. Pick up in the, everybody that I've ever talked to complains that the, the neck pickup stomps all over the bridge pickup. Absolutely. That, yeah. So we made something that matches much better with a, a humbucker in the neck and that's the j street now is that is that one tapped does that have tapped well, we no. have made tapped ones but um okay i and it's hardly 
I don't know. I, it's not my favorite thing to, to yeah, it just doesn't, it's hard to get enough of a big difference in the, the sound. You really got to yeah. be disproportionate in the lines. And the other problem with it is, um, is that if one of the coils goes bad, you have to redo both of them. Uh, so there's a certain amount of fall down. Fall down is where you're making something, you're trying to get consistent, and something is either out of the range of uh, inductance and ohms that it, that it should be. So we'll make like uh, 30 pickups at a time. So it makes it easier to see uh, if any of them are out, are out of spec, because they'll right. stick out like big. So... Um, yeah, I think, I'm not sure where I was going with that. But, yeah. I think I saw a, uh, I must have seen like a custom J Street or something like that, that somebody I, I somebody had a, a J Street that was tapped on a, on a telly. Before. It's yeah. been quite a while. Uh, you, you were kind of going through like your, your telly bridge offerings and you covered like the 52 style and the, and the J Street. And, and a special, sort of reminds me of uh, that uh, Blackguard. And the Alnico 3, there was a time about probably 10 years ago where everybody was Alnico 3, Alnico 3, uh, like on the uh, Telecaster forum. Yeah. And the only time I'd, I've rewound lots of Fender stuff. And in 1954, I saw a lot of pickups that had super weak magnets, which had to have been Alnico 3. And that's really the only year that I've consistently found uh, that magnet being used in old Fender pickups. Yeah. I haven't seen thousands of old Fender pickups, but I've seen hundreds of them. Um, so we were working with this guy, Jonathan Wilson. He was in uh, yeah, vintage guitar player a while back. Yeah, and he did the Gren the Greenwich Village guitars. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And he wanted uh, Alnico three, so I developed him one for for his guitars that has a little bit more whining than, than typical on it. So it's got a little bit more low mids, but it's got all that clear high end. And he wound up. I don't think he makes guitars anymore, but he he was playing with Roger Waters like yeah. last year. Or something. Yeah, I I don't know if he's. I, I don't know if he's still uh, building. I, he, sometimes he's built off and on, but I think he's been more into being the artist and sideman thing, playing. That's so, yeah. kind of a better gig. <laughs> <laughs> Building guitars is hard, man. Yeah. D talk about that. Yeah. Oh. oh, you know, one day I carved three maple necks by hand, and I went, Oh man, my shoulder is hurting so bad. I can't, I can't carve that much. And this one, I was like in my forties, and uh, I made a, a bunch of arch tops. Uh, you know, carved plates, top and inside. Made a bunch of those, and man, I, I was crazy. Uh, that uh, I was crazy to be able to push myself that hard, and. Um, make stuff that fast i i don't know how i did it i couldn't do it today but uh uh it's really hard to make money doing it by hand everybody's doing cnc and everybody's switched to uh strats and tellies uh and not as many people make uh 
set knacks. You know, there's a lot of people that just do bolt-on stuff and yeah, with CNC, and there isn't that much handwork to do with it. Uh, yeah. Dot inlays instead of, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I used to love doing inlay. Um, but uh, you know what? I can't, I found my niche making pickups, and uh, if people wanted me to do that, I'm happy that somebody wanted me to do something, you know? Yeah. So you didn't lament the uh, the shift from guitar building to pick up, you know? Oh, I didn't, you know, because no, I, I was working for myself, and I've worked for some really crappy people before. I worked for some good ones, but yeah, some of them were just, oh, God. It, it's it's interesting how you know the uh, you know I've I've heard a, a lot of builders I've heard of repairmen going into guitar building and loving it I've heard of guitar builders going into repairing or making pickups and other things and you know because they you find that uh, you know you like this part of the business and you like doing this and you really don't like doing that and uh, yeah no I, you know I I like building guitars but that's not really what people want me to do I've built a lot of guitars but. Uh... People don't want me there every day building guitars. They want they want the pickups, and I'm happy with that. So yeah. So what do you wish people knew about pickups? What is the, one of the biggest like yeah the the confusion with pickups and you, what you wish that that the consumer knew about pickups? Okay, my my peeve is is this where somebody they have to they feel like they have to come up with a story about you know, sprinkling angel dust on it or yeah. Uh, it's just it's this marketing thing about there's uh, some magical miracle to it or, or something. It's really it's just um, it's experience and testing and trying. You can if you don't know how to test things in a scientific way you can fool yourself. You can fool yourself into uh, making the wrong conclusions very easily by, um, like, for one thing, we'll actually use different guitars made out of the same wood, which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sound the same, but we'll match all the pots and both guitars with an ohm meter so that they're the same, they read the same, that the, the cap and this is, is matched with the cap, uh, even down to not as much difference, but the amount of wire that you use in the interconnect, how long that is, it's yeah. got to be pretty similar. It doesn't have to be exact, but it can't be like way off. It can't have like way much longer. Um, but a big thing is matching the, uh, the potentiometers. And then we'll listen to the guitars and see if we can hear a difference. And then if we think we do, We'll take them out and swap the pickups so that the set that was in that guitar is now in that one and that one and that one. And listen to it again and see if the sound follows the pickup or if it stays with the guitar. Right. So that's what that's how we develop our pickups. It's just by listening to it, trying different things, different materials, different lines, different wire gauges, different magnets, different size magnets, too. Uh, and we just, we just sit there and listen to it. And, uh, before I had all these other, other guys, I was just doing that on my own. And now we all listen and, uh, 
try to explain what we're hearing. And sometimes somebody will hear something a little bit different and, and they're right. And you go, oh, yeah, I didn't hear that before. So it's just a lot of stuff. I think a lot of pickups that are just so-so, like uh, the imported stuff, I don't think they really listen to it and tweak it. They just build it and sell it. Yeah, they they throw throw it out on the market. So it 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 you know you talked about testing and such. So it sounds like so you're you're testing like the the raw materials that you have, and you're and you're trying to uh, to have consistency. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. and you can even like a, a on a metal pickup cover, if it's got too much copper underlayment, they use that to they plate it with copper so that they can smooth out any imperfections because that's easy to i guess that's why they do it that's how i understand it. and then they play it over it it also helps it adhere the plating to the metal and if there's too much copper on it you take a magnet and you have the, the pickup on the on your bench and you put your magnet beside it and you try to pull it away if it's got too much copper on it you'll get this eddy current and it'll, it'll pull with it so you can test your pickup covers like that and that'll be a darker sound if, right. if that kind of uh, eddy eddy current um so what were you asking me well, i was asking about what you know the 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 common misconception of that consumers have that you wish you could correct oh yeah um the common well the old thing you know that yeah. ohms are not are not what you need to be paying attention to it's actually we uh we go more the ohms can vary but the inductance of the coil is a it's a special measurement that tells you it gives you a better idea about frequency response and how much how much output that you uh that you have but inductance nobody would know if you told them well it's got a 3.8 uh uh, inductance, uh, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. So um, the biggest misconception is um, we'll send a, a strap pickup that we made in our 72-degree uh, uh, shop down to Phoenix, and it'll be 110 down there, and it's been sitting in a UPS uh, truck, and they bring it into the house, and they measure it, and they go, this pickup's way too high in homes. That's not what I ordered. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you just let go of that stuff because it doesn't mean anything at all. Uh, and I've had people call me up and they claim they were electrical engineers saying temperature doesn't affect the resistance of a, of a metal. Yeah, it does. That's how, that's how thermostats work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I learned about that a, a number of years ago. It just shocked me when yeah, you could take the, the same pickup and you could have it you know get it right out of your your hot trunk and measure it and then you could measure it and you know two hours later when it's been in the air conditioning and all of a sudden it was it was getting a way way different yeah we had a we had a, we have a blog or we used to um and we what we did was we took a pickup so we put them in the freezer and we took pictures of them after we pulled them out of the freezer and before we put them in and it, it was a tremendous difference in you know ohms so yeah. What what of your pickups are you most proud of, or, or some of your favorites? Um, 
There's one that uh, we make once in a while. It, there, it was the it was for the Gibson uh, ES three hundred, I believe. The the one with the big angled yes. pickup. It's made out of tortoiseshell. We made a, a number of those, and they're pretty hard to make. And and that's that's kind of a fun thing to do. Is you know it, they angled the uh, pickup. The poles pole pieces are about an inch apart from each other. And they angled the pickup so that the pole pieces would all of a sudden become closer to each other. So they lined up with the strings, and it also gave it more uh, of a, a real fat top end and a, a brighter top end, uh, brighter low end, yeah. something like that, or the other way around. Um, but just just getting that, that tortoise shell is hard to get anymore because it's so flammable, you know. Yeah. And then polishing it all out, and uh, we put uh, behind it, we put like a, a gold foil behind it, so it really reflects the light through the, it bounces off the gold foil and comes through the lighter parts of the tortoiseshell. It just looks amazing. That's and a lab labor of love. Yeah. Then you got to wrap the edge of it with like 30 second and get that all glued on and, and tight. Uh, yeah. So that that one, and, and actually... Um, the uh a couple others the uh the wide range we were yeah. the first ones to have all those parts made yes covers made and the base plates made and we had an arrangement with this company that um they made the stamps because making a stamp uh, or a die it's a multi-process die they can't just stamp it all at once they have to do a little bit at a time it's in the tens of thousands of dollars to do that and we didn't have money to do that. So we worked with this company and they, they let us use it for a year. I gave them all the drawings and stuff and they did it. And then they were uh, allowed to sell them to other sources, other people. And so we did that with the wide range and we did that with the gold foil. Yeah. And some of the parts, we only have some of the parts made by that company. The others, we have our own bobbins made we get the we can afford injection molds those are only like six seven thousand bucks and um you know we have the magnets cut to size and, and made for us and uh and we even had the uh there's a pattern on the gold foil that's pressed in first of all, i made a uh a punch on the laser cutter i, I made it so it the laser would engrave this piece of acrylic two pieces and it was kind of a grid pattern and then we have a foot press we have this big industrial foot press and we would uh put the gold foil material in between those two uh pieces of engraved acrylic and stomp on it and uh it, it worked and then we start <laughs> i was like i didn't really know <laughs> i didn't really think that might not work you know never done that before um but now we have somebody do that too so you know. so those those two are a bit, kind of a big deal the having yeah. those parts man because those you know of course you know those pickups weren't really highly acclaimed until you know well i mean i guess it's in the last 20 years that the yeah. you know both of those pickup designs started to be more more and more appreciated you know the yeah. The wide range and the and of course the gold foil. And I guess a lot of the gold foil goes back to Ry Cooter, who 
you also make like a, a cooter caster uh you know string yes. through you know steel guitar oahu bridge i mean yeah, uh, yeah pickup yeah. I mean, I made I custom made one by hand, an eight string one for Freddie Roulette when he lost his uh, eight string uh, national uh, fire. His house got on fire, and he first thing he did was he took his uh, national out and put it on the lawn. And somebody came along, and took it, oh. so made, made him a brand new copy of it. Um, and there's a story I don't really remember exactly how it went on, but Jackson Brown was working with Bill Asher, I think, on, on making gold foils. And at the same time, I was thinking the same thing, because I had James Williamson had been talking to me about the Studios guy, and Andy Marshall at THD had been talking to me about gold foils. And somehow, I found out they were doing it, and they found out I was doing it. And um, I just wound up doing it, because uh, that's what we do, you know. Bill, Bill knows how to make pickups too, but he's mostly a guitar maker and a pickup maker on the side. Yeah. I think uh, how it came about was kind of a funny uh, coincidence thing. And there's other people like uh, Lindy Fralin. We've had molds made and split the costs and both both thinking about making the same pickup at the same time you know yeah that's fantastic you know sharing the cost of uh of yeah having something machined up whether it's yeah injection bobbin you know bobbins or or you know some type of tooling or something that's that's fantastic yeah yeah that's good there's a lot of good people that work in the music industry so yeah. how long have you known lindy freeland oh god probably 15 years maybe yeah yeah, um, I, I, went, I, I went to Berlin. Uh, he he went at the same time one time for a, a show, and uh, we went all around the city. We took a, a boat uh, ride around, uh, you know, Berlin. I love Berlin; it's great. And then he went off to uh, Prague, I think, and went to Poland and a couple other places. Uh, so, so I. I don't talk to him a lot, but I, I know him fairly well. So, yeah. So, uh, what are your, you know, I guess there's all sorts of things about potting and, and, you know, and magnet size and, and different types of magnets. Uh, you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you feel about, you know, like, like wax potting, you know, as far as like both humbuckers and single coils? You know, I, I used to not pot anything at all. Problem with doing that is the coils will eventually shift or settle and they can become mic microphonic. For instance, if uh, a really ex extreme example of this is right after you wind a coil and it's really tight, if you drop it on the floor, it's just going to go, you know, it'll just wow. be a hairball. It'll be a hairball. So yeah. I've had people that have PAFs um, that all of a sudden, became so microphonic it couldn't use them anymore. Just because the guitar got knocked or something, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, or just over time it. Uh, and another thing that can happen is, uh, especially on P90s, the, it's called bobbin rot. It's like foam rot on a speaker, but the bobbin just degrades and uh, finally breaks and then the coil gets all loose. 
And it's, they, uh, Gibson made a lot of pickups out of a tortoise shell, uh, like the BR9 steel uh, guitar. It's a special P90. It's kind of a racetrack shaped P90. It's made out of a, a tortoise shell. And the, the, the clearer parts of the tortoise shell degrade and crumble. And um, so what one benefit of wax potting is um, your pickup's going to be the same as far as microphonics go 30 years from now or 50 years from now. The trick to it is you want some microphonics. Not so much if you're playing in a band, but if you're just playing solo, you, you can hear if there's microphonics and it, it kind of adds something to it. But once you get drums in there and stuff, you, it's really hard to hear that stuff. So what we do is we take a, a heat pad and we put all our stuff on there we're going to pot. And we let it preheat and we have a vacuum uh, chamber and we put the pickup in there and we'll turn the vacuum on and we'll let them pot anywhere from five seconds to a minute and a half, depending on what, what the, if it's a Strat or a Tele or a P90 or a humbucker and how much we want to remove how much microphonics. Uh, so we leave enough in there that when you install a set of strap pickups, you can, if you use springs, you can, uh, if you mount them so they're loose and they wobble, you'll get more microphonics. Right. And if you tighten it down, you'll get less because it's not, not moving around. And uh, especially like on a tele, Telecaster bridge, if you got it too low, it's going to shriek because yeah. it's sitting there vibrating. Just even sometimes one turn of the screw, that's all it takes. So we, we want to leave some microphonics in there uh, enough that you can deal with it. Uh, and it's, it's incredible. I'd, I've played uh, a lot of Gibsons and Gibson up until, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, they didn't wax pot anything. And I never had any problems but with microphonics, but then I'd hand the guitar to somebody else and it'd be going, wee, 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 you know, and I'd like, what, what did you just do? <laughs> I don't understand it. But... I'm, I'm, I'm guessing uh, they're not used to controlling a, a, a louder instrument and they're not used to like palm muting and controlling it that way. So uh, you have to make the tool do what you intend. Right. That's yeah. What what are what have been some of your biggest aha moments in uh, in pickup winding? Boy, that's tough. Um, well, you know the the whole thing. It, it was never an aha, but it was a slow buildup of of stuff like matching the pots and the guitars that you're going to be testing pickups in. Um, uh, well, here's one. We, I always, we used to use all the, all the winders had these electromechanical counters on them that had, are driven with gears inside. It's right. like, like a speedometer or something. And um, after, you know, you, you put several million turns on that thing, the gears start to get dusted out, you know, and uh, all of a sudden 
the ohms, the resistance of the coils is just going all over the place, you know. And we're going, what's going on? Yeah. It took me a while to figure it out, but then I, then I figured out, oh, some of the gears are stripping out and it's miscounting everything and it's, yeah. it's a completely random thing. It's not accurate anymore. No, and that is not what you want. You don't want miscounting stuff. So that was kind of a big, oh, we need to switch over to digital counters. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, magnets? You know, because, of course, you know, magnets are mainly coming from China at this point. You know, as you've had to switch from, you know, where magnets tended to be coming from, have you had to, you know, kind of change your recipes and such? Yeah, we had to, we had to do, you know, by the time... Uh, we were buying uh, once we found out where to where to actually buy uh, the magnets from. Like I think it was Adams Magnetics was one of them. Uh, they were selling us uh, surplus stuff from old runs of Gibson parts or whatever, you know. And by the yeah. time that ran out, that was probably about two thousand. Um, we had to switch over. And I wasn't really set into Rayman designs by then. I was still really putting it putting it together. Um, and uh, one thing is, I wound up working with this one company that, that makes all all of our stuff, um, and they'll make thousands of pickups and. We, they'll hold them for a year, you know, we give them our projected use and they'll, they'll make that and hold it for a year. And you meant thousands of, of magnets, right? Yeah. Cause you said thousands of pickups, you mean thousands of magnets. Magnets, yeah. 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 Well, the magnet is the pickup. Yeah. So they've been really consistent with it. So we're always going from the same place. Whereas stuff like pickup covers we were buying them from korea for a while but they, they could not deliver us a consistent product so we had to stop using them. we started having them made in the usa most of our parts are made in the usa uh, except for the magnets uh, yeah so yeah you gotta you gotta watch that stuff and you know we measure it we have gauss meters and stuff so we can tell, and one, one of the things that we check on the inductance is if you put the wrong magnet in it, or it's not charged right, or it's the wrong material, you'll see a difference in the inductance of the, of the pickup itself, the assembly. So that's, that's another quality control issue that we have. So when that inductance either goes above or below a certain amount, then we start investigating, is it the magnet? Is it something about the coil? Is it the blade or the steel that's in it? We have our, our screws made for us, our specific kind of metal. Uh, yeah, so we did. We, we wound up designing a lot of our stuff using the Chinese magnets. So, yeah. so let's, say, uh, let's say a guitarist calls up and they say, you know, I want to get new pickups for my Strat or my Tele or whatever. And, you know, do you do y'all spend much time walking people through you know asking questions or finding what they want or yeah we do that a lot and i've been doing that since day one a lot and 
a lot of times it's figuring out what are they actually asking for but right and getting a, a common idea going on because they can kind of trail you off some other direction and that's not really where they want to go they, they don't know how to tell you exactly what they want half the time right um or they the other thing they do is they think they know what they want and they want to tell you how to make it and then if you go ahead and make it that way and then they get it they go that's not what i wanted right they let let us do that part you just tell me do you want more of this or less of that or what, what is it you're after and um, sometimes they'll be using district words that just don't make sense they're contradicting themselves i want it i want it loose but tight or something like that you know you're like what yeah you have to spend time figuring out exactly what what are they talking about and uh, it's a lot easier to uh, you know for them to to describe what they have now describe what you have now and what is it that you don't like about it and what you want different and then we right. can kind of exaggerate that a little bit and go okay if you go with this model that we have that's going to be a good chance of what you want yeah. uh, so yeah, yeah matching people up with with their yeah because yeah getting them to, to actually instead of them saying i want to sound like steve cropper on green onions or the Almond Brothers or what have you, or Richie Blackmore, it's get, getting to say, I want more bass or I want more mids. I want to have, I want it to be cleaner. I want it to be, have more mid range or what have you. That's more helpful. You know, the big, the big thing is you hand a guitar to one guy and he plays it and it sounds one way and he hands it to another guy. It's going to sound completely different. And yes. you have no idea how much that guy lays into the attack or doesn't, or he plays smoother, and that's going to make a huge difference in the final result. So that's that's kind of the the thing that can uh, the wrench in the system, you know. Yeah. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down with us and uh, and tell us some of your story and and tell us of you know kind of give us some of the uh you know basics of of windings and 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 your business uh, i guess let, let me let me follow up with one one more question how difficult has it been to go from just yourself to having a staff like you do and having to keep that you know consistency how how difficult because that's what a lot of businesses deal with how how do i grow the business and keep the consistency yeah, it's um, fortunately we, I didn't go from one person to twenty five or whatever we have in a month. You know, yeah. it took years uh, of that. You know, first I had two, then I had four, then I had six, then I had eight. So it kind of had time to figure out the system. And then it, a bit, one of the big things for everybody is keeping a, your supply line. That's a huge deal for even the guys that are single guy shops. Um, if you're buying from a, just, uh, something like All Parts or some distributor like that, they never know. They'll have 10,000 units in, and then they'll get a guy come in and buy almost all of them, and then there's nothing left, and they won't have any more for six months. And so even when you do are buying from, directly from a manufacturer like we do, they get they get runs hit on them and so we have to keep all this inventory on hand to make sure we don't never run out 
And the more people we have working, the more inventory we have to have. But the training, we don't we want we don't want to lose guys. We want them to be here for many years because the training it takes so much time to do. You know, um, and fortunately, we've been fortunate to pick people that uh, um, really want to be here and they really work hard. And uh, we've gotten better at figuring out who those people are when we hire them. And we also get a lot of referrals from the guys that that work for us. Uh, they're friends, you know, so yeah, a lot of people like that too. So yeah. it would be it. It really could be frustrating if you don't have the right people. It uh, would be really hard because I know one guy that that's having that happening to him, and uh, yeah, that'll, that'll really hold you down. I mean, it's the other people that work for you that build the whole thing up, too. You know, it's it's a good deal. So, well, thank you so much, Jason. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate your, your your time and your and your willingness to uh, to to share uh, you know all these aspects of, of both you know winding and, and your business. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you next time.